Hello, and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Lucy Friedman. Lucy Friedman is a leadership educator and author of the book, Smart Work, The Syntax Guide to Influence. She's identified the fact that many, many technical professionals and leaders are brilliant in their field, but challenged when it comes to translating their expertise so that executives make better informed decisions. She developed the Syntax for Change as a way to make sense out of human communication and applies it wherever communication gaps threaten productivity and reliability, which is everywhere. With a BA and master's from Harvard University, Lucy began her professional life teaching English to 15-year-olds and then went on to teach leadership to adults in companies such as HP, Intel, Agilent, Oracle, EDS, and Tokyo Electron. Lucy Friedman, welcome and thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Lucy, many of our listeners are comfortable with reliability data and failure rates, but they sometimes have a hard time getting other people to make decisions based on their findings. Uh, What are some of the common mistakes that engineers make in these situations? Well, Unfortunately, I do have an answer for that because of the mistakes that get made so commonly. Um, as you may have guessed from the name syntax in, in syntax for change, is syntax is all about understanding the structure of effective communication. And conveniently, we came up with a list of what are the 10 common syntax errors that people make. And, and I thought, what are the ones that reliability engineers are likely to make? most often. And the one that stood out right away was syntax error number three, assuming others think as you think or know what you know or ought to. (laughs) Sure. It's just, we all fall into it. And in particular, when you have a level of expertise that you're tending, that you're deep in and it's hard to remember not only that people have different backgrounds, but that all of us think differently. So being able to wake up and be conscious of the difference between how we think and be able to bridge the gap to other people is, uh, it, you know, the first mistake is assuming others think as you think. And then the first solution for that is not assuming that. Lucy, I guess it doesn't help that a lot of engineers hang out with each other. So those that's the uh, personality type, I guess, that they're most f- familiar with. And that's the, we're self-selected. So we're self-selected yeah. if we're good at and willing to do, do the math, gather the facts, think through what the issues might be, and then organize it, you know, using a, a structure, using a systematic approach. It makes so much sense that we assume that wouldn't other people think the same way? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Good point. A couple of the others, though, that, that were, were came along to mind as well of some other syntax errors to be aware of. One is, is it's very similar to the other, is not establishing rapport. Because as you were suggesting, when you hang out with other people in your same field, with your same biases, or even some of the same biases, you have natural rapport. You're, it's easy for information to flow back and forth because you're in rapport with each other. And if you don't recognize that other people have other ways of establishing rapport and you need to create a bridge, you might not consciously think about, I actually have to 
do something to establish rapport. And many people don't realize that it's it's mostly the verbals, the nonverbals, and the stuff in the background, the if you will process, that is what makes the difference in establishing rapport. So when people take syntax learning programs. Sometimes it becomes into their full focus for the first time that, oh my goodness, how I approach someone and my skills for establishing rapport could make all the difference, could make this whole thing much easier. So that's another one. And the last mistake that I'll mention, because it's one that we all fall into, but maybe some of our listeners will recognize themselves, is could you ever imagine yourself resisting resistance? <laughs> right. So that those are some of the, the mistakes that I think get in the way of having the kind of influence that is necessary to really do your job well. You know, I, all this makes a lot of sense. I, I guess I'm so sometimes I encounter people that uh, just feel like, uh, well, the facts speak for themselves. Why do I have to take the extra step? to get to know the other person, get to know their style, get to know what, you know, why can't the facts just speak for themselves? What kind of response do you give to people like that, Lucy? Yeah, so sad. I I empathize that if it's clear on its face and all you're doing is presenting the facts, excuse me, it seems like the facts speak for themselves. And it turns out your job is probably to speak for them. And what the facts can't do is the facts can't pay attention to the mindset, the listening into which you're either speaking or sending information. And it's a human function to be able to detect where are the differences, how do I bridge that? And also the criteria, the things that obviously matter to you because they stand out just as, as clear as the nose on your face don't stand out to other people who don't have that expertise. They can't Good. for the same thing. Good point. You know, it also seems to me the person you're talking to may have a lot of facts and figures they're contending with. Why should they pay particular attention to your specific set of facts and figures? When you're competing for people's attention, because that's the thing exactly. that's important exactly. supply nowadays is, is attention. Exactly. You know, Lucy, when we spoke earlier, you you said something interesting. You said that the human connection is where reliability fails. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, we used to joke about the problem in computers was usually the connection between the screen and the keyboard. (laughs) Where where does the uh, connection break down? People need uh, consciousness and education about this aspect of their professional skills. And a lot of people don't have it. They don't they don't put their attention on this. And therefore they don't have the skills of detecting where are the differences and often end up resisting resistance because of that. Um, it takes awareness to tune up your personal syntax because the other person's full of you know what's in their mind you're full of what's in your mind. If you put your attention on what's in your own mind and try to deliver it, um, you're not in the listening to figure out where they are and how to reach them and influence them. So the reliability connection breaks down because people aren't, um, as you say, the the client or the user or the person that you're influencing or the executive 
has a lot on their mind, you need to be able to tune into that because one of the sayings I like is that when you get in step with someone, the next step you take, they are likely to follow. Ah, yeah, good point. And often because we're attending to what's in our own head and why aren't they getting it? Um, also, sure. there's another piece to it, which is the when I say that people need to be conscious about what they're doing, it's not just that you need to wake up and be conscious. Some folks may have read um, the wonderful book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, where he identifies right. we have our automatic response, you know, and then we have our conscious response. Um, our conscious yes. response takes more energy, so we tend to fall into the lazy way, the I mean, I don't want to mean to be insulting, but it's easier just to do the automatic and not stop and think. But once you stop and think, you need to have, just as in reliability, you need the expertise to know what you're looking at. And in syntax or the syntax of communication, which is what I draw from, you need to know the syntax of how to make clear requests and how to make Mm -hmm. offers and how to ask for a response. And if you have that structure in your mind and you have it fluent in the way you think about your emails, the way you think about your presentations, uh, some people call it a call to action. But being able to make a specific request, especially when you've got facts and the facts are supposed to speak for themselves, well, you're speaking for Mm -hmm. the facts. You're saying these facts indicate this, which means that I suggest this, which is a form of request. And then you ask for a response. And many people, because they don't step into making the request, they're just thinking that this will speak for itself. Then they aren't able to push for a response. They may complain that nobody is responding, but just it's something. But they haven't actually, yeah, but they haven't actually asked anything. They haven't actually (laughs) asked. They've they've put it out there. And recently I've been noticing how much, even people who are um, educators and leaders and and uh, facilitators, when they're making a request or a command for people to do something in their class or in their group or you know what they want others to do, they'll say, "What I want you to do is." Now that's not a request. It's you know similar. Uh, to, Isn't this obvious? Isn't this information obvious? Right. No, the fact that you want me to do it is not you asking me to do it. That's interesting. So if you say, you know, we, and and when you're in the situation of a staff function like reliability, you are often, the form of your request or offer is a recommendation. Ah, got it. And many recommendations that I have seen do not specify, here's how to respond to this. We are asking you to make this decision. And the thing that people most often leave out of the structure of an effective request is by when. And some right. of them think like it's not appropriate for them to say to an executive, you know, I need an, you know, I request that you reply to this by Friday. Um, and if you don't do it, I mean, maybe people know the real meaning of the term ASAP, <laughs> which is after everything else that has a due date. <laughs> <laughs> right. So these are, you know, I think these are useful for everybody to know and especially to make reliability engineers more effective at influencing. I mean, because it's not easy for people to stay awake to what they're doing, we offer both live education and other forms of support. One of them is the book you mentioned, Smart Work, 
so that people can build the skills they have in their system too, in their conscious communication, and then they can work it back into their feeling natural every day. You just, and then you're the person that people want to hear from and want on their team. Right. Good point. You're, you're embodying syntax. We have a course coming up in Austin in September. That's a two day course, which is pretty much an intensive, but at the end of it, you walk out aware of things, you know, in every day that you may have been doing, or you may have been aware of other people doing, but it's like turning on the radar. Right. You know, and suddenly you are able to be a conscious communicator without having it interfere with what you're actually trying to accomplish. In fact, you know, it facilitates what you're trying to accomplish. So those are, you know, hopefully those are some helpful thoughts because people shouldn't just think it comes naturally to some folks. Everybody has to use system two and do some conscious learning to be good at influencing in the complex situations that people are in. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, if, if your goal is effective communication, you know, doesn't it seem like you should take a little extra time making sure that you're understood? Well, I'm wondering if, you know, that people don't, this is something I'm glad you said that just to highlight that it's people describe it as resistance or they describe it as something else and as, as if that communication itself is the elephant in the room. So the fact that you can name that, you know, and say, I think I need to think about the communication here. You know, I need to plan for it. I need to right. establish rapport. I need to get the information sorted out so they will understand it. And then I need to make clear requests and agreements. That's, you know, that's conscious competence. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that model. I've forgotten who developed that model, the one about conscious competence. But uh, uh, that's obviously where we want to get to. Um, what again talking about communication you know generally it obviously requires both a sender and a receiver do you have any we've been talking a lot about how people can be more effective and influential as a requester uh, or a recommender do you have any suggestions for how people can be a better receiver or uh, participant in communication it's a great question it's really is hand in glove for one thing, you can't send a message well until you've listened to where the person's coming from that you want to communicate with. So sure. already, you know, it's not like you should already know, know what they're thinking about. You can do some research and background so that both when you're talking with someone or hearing from them and when you do research is understanding specific things called their criteria, hmm. i.e. what is important to that person. So the first prerequisite is stop talking. <laughs> right. Good and point. Listen, because you will, you know, I, one of the issues though, I mean, sometimes people who are in engineering listen a lot or appear to be listening and don't speak up a lot. It is possible. And they're processing inside their own mind. So the skill of shifting your attention so that you're actually hearing not just the sense you're making of what the other person is saying, but building the muscle of listen for the exact words they use to force your attention out to the other person. Because if you tend to be a little bit on the introverted side, then you might be talking to yourself about listening to the other person, which doesn't right. mean that you're listening. So definitely. I don't know. I don't know where I heard this, but uh, some time ago, somebody told me that the opposite of talking is not listening. The opposite of talking is waiting. And that's what it is for, especially 
certain types of people, and they say that Americans are particularly bad at that. You know, you're just waiting until it's your turn to talk. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm reloading. Right. Yeah. As soon as you're finished talking, then you know who cares what you're saying. I'm not really paying attention anyway. I'm just waiting for some airspace so that I can continue talking. Yeah, and I have found that that for myself. I just like everybody else need to remind myself to do more of that. And what I do is I get curious and get fascinated just as I would be with something I was working on with exactly how they're saying things and see how much I can detect of their personal syntax. How does this person think? And that way, you know, I'm researching it and, and their experience because I'm doing that is that I'm building much more rapport because they anybody feels better when the other person's tuning into them. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I I I know from my time working at HP, we used to spend a lot of time trying to understand different personality types, how to communicate more effectively, and uh, some people uh, criticized that approach by saying that they thought it was manipulative. And I said, boy, it, you know, again, our goal here is communication. Uh, we're not trying to manipulate people. We're just trying to improve uh, our understanding of each other. Well, I think the attitude and approach with which those are used is very important because they are they are priceless for recognizing how you personally sort differently from other people because there are those differences in these different type models, I call them allow you to recognize kinds of differences that wouldn't be on your screen at all. You know, you, you're like, people really think like that? Or, you know, how come those people talk without thinking first? Or, you know, right, right. Good once point. you begin to get that, and if it's overly done, or if you start to see the person as the type, you know, it, it, I intentionally designed syntax learning programs for people who tend to be in the Myers-Briggs categories of more, uh, uh, sensor, thinker, gender, right. and sometimes introverted-oriented people. Um, and that's been useful to me to recognize what will be beneficial for them to assist them in their work. If, however, you do it like, oh, yeah, he's just an ESTJ. He's not going to get it. <laughs> that, that yeah. you know, or the other, you know, the ones that HP used, the amiable analytical Drivers and I forget the other Expressives. one. Expressives. I remember that one. There yeah. you go. And I find all of them useful as long as you take them just the same way you take useful things out of astrology or useful things out. You know, <laughs> not there. They are based on samples. Astrology has a bigger sample size than most systems, but they're based on samples. And so there's some validity and it's worthwhile. You know, even if you don't, you know, none of us fits the boxes exactly. The boxes are supposed to be helpful in describing us. I think that's an important message. I mean, I, I was going to say, wouldn't it be easier if we all wore our Myers-Briggs classification on our, uh, around our neck? Right. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I think you're absolutely right. We've got to be careful about stereotyping. And instead, we have to teach people how to treat us by treating them with care and with attention. You know, I think that what we've talked about today is just some, there are some values that underlie it, like really recognizing that if you tune into the other person and then you deliver your message, you're showing respect and you're also going to be much more successful with it. That sounds great. And I did mention those um, syntax errors earlier and something that I would offer to listeners if they would like 
is I have a set of cartoons that illustrate the 10 syntax errors, and it's a kind of a useful reliability checklist for people. So if you would like to get a copy of that, just email me, lucy at syntaxforchange.com, and I will send you a copy for fun and also maybe to use as a checklist. That just sounds great. Lucy, This would, these wouldn't happen to be Dilbert cartoons, would they? No, no. But if somebody <laughs> rendered some, and they can be reminiscent of <laughs> their, their own cartoons. They're just illustrations of things like resisting resistance. Very good. Lucy, this has been great. Thanks so much for being with us t t today. I've had a great time talking with you. That was Lucy Friedman, a leadership educator and author of Smart Work, The Syntax Guide to Influence. You can learn more by going to her site, Syntax for Change. That's S-Y-N-T-A-X-F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G-E, syntaxforchange.com. And Lucy, again, is offering a complimentary reliability checklist for communication that you can receive by emailing her at lucy at syntaxforchange.com. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks again for joining us.